In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Families can be incredibly dysfunctional. Over the years, I've seen a lot in parish ministry. And sometimes the wounds that we face from childhood seem much larger than any we will face later in life. Jacob, the patriarch in the book of Genesis, played favorites. Maybe it was really his uncle's fault. You know, when a family is dysfunctional, we are always looking for somebody to blame. It's the aunt's fault, it's the mom's fault, it's his fault or her fault. Well, maybe it was Laban's fault because Jacob loved Rachel, but Laban tricked Jacob into marrying Rachel's older sister, Leah, first. So Jacob had a bunch of sons with Leah. Rachel had trouble. He married her seven years later, and she had trouble conceiving. When Rachel finally had a son, Jacob was totally diverted to the boy. He adored his son Joseph, and he adored him at the expense of his other sons. When a parent plays favorites, it's a dangerous thing. Joseph's brothers grew to hate him. And I'm not talking about the normal sibling hate. Like when I was two and a half, my parents brought my brother home from the hospital and I wisely suggested that they flush him down the toilet. But that was kind of normal. I love him now. Joseph's brothers were older and they still hated Joseph. And Joseph being young was rather oblivious to the effect he had on his brothers. So when Jacob gives him a robe that is beautiful and finely made, he parades in front of his brothers showing it off. And then Joseph tells his brothers that he's had a dream. And in the dream, his brothers are bowing down to him. Now that was just dumb. <laughs> Joseph's brothers want to literally kill him. And they would have if it wasn't for the oldest, Reuben who maybe by virtue of being the oldest, maybe he had finally matured out of adolescence. But he says to the others, no, 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 let's not do that. And so they throw Joseph in a pit. And when some slave traders from Egypt come by, they sell their brother into slavery. 
They kill an animal, put the blood on Joseph's coat, and bring it back to their father Jacob, thinking, phew, Joseph is gone now. We'll be able to be the ones who are loved. Everything will be good now. And was it good? Of course not. Their father was even more diverted in grief than he had been diverted in adoration. He was completely consumed with his suffering and pain because his favorite child had died and his other sons were left even more alone and with the realization that they had caused their father incredible pain. Meanwhile, Joseph goes from being adored to being enslaved. And oh, he suffers. He works hard as a slave, but his master's wife tries to seduce him, and when he says no, she accuses him of abuse and has him thrown in prison. But Joseph has a gift. He has these dreams that actually come true. And when people realize this and when the Pharaoh gets wind of it, the Pharaoh hires Joseph. And Joseph has a dream. He sees that there will be seven years of famine and seven years of plenty. He is able to interpret the dream that Pharaoh has. The plenty will come first, followed by the famine. And so they're to stock up. And Pharaoh hires Joseph to collect all the grain during the years of plenty so that when the famine comes, the land of Egypt will be okay. So Joseph becomes second in command only to Pharaoh, but he's unhappy in his heart. He's resentful. He still hates his brothers. He still can't believe what's happened to him. And as you know, resentment can be nurtured and it grows like a plant, like a weed in our hearts. When Joseph's brothers come to beg for food because they are starving along with their father, at first, Joseph knows only hatred and resentment. It has grown so large inside of him that he plays tricks on them. He scares them. He accuses them of stealing. He tries to kidnap his younger brother. He terrifies his brothers. Until there is this moment, this moment of grace, Joseph is looking on his brothers who are afraid of him. And he's able to forgive. It happens in this grace-filled moment without explanation. Joseph looks on them and, and he loves them. And he tells them, I'm your brother. And they can't even understand what he's saying. They can't even respond. So he has to repeat it. He comes closer to them. He explains to them that all that has happened has been for God's good purposes and that he's going to take care of them now. 
Today's gospel is probably one of the hardest texts in the Bible. Jesus gives us some instructions. They're very specific and they're very hard. But they have everything to do with the kind of resentment that Joseph felt in his heart. Jesus says that we as his followers are supposed to love our enemies. We are supposed to pray for the people that hate us and that treat us badly. If someone hits us on one side of our face, we're supposed to turn and offer the other. This passage makes me want to pull my hair out. How in the world are we supposed to love the people that we can't stand? Well, first of all, forget the notion that our culture tells you that love is some kind of a warm feeling or romantic feeling or even a nice feeling. It's not a feeling at all. Love is something that you do. You begin by taking those people that drive you insane and simply saying their names aloud in prayer. You do that every day. And then you try to act with reverence and respect and honesty and kindness no matter what they do. And it's really, really hard. I don't know about you, but when someone makes me really mad or hurts my feelings, I'll tell you, it feels so good not to confront the person that's hurt me, but to tell somebody else about it. <laughs> I love to tell other people about it and complain and gossip and get it off my chest and have the other person think how horrible that person is. It feels so good, it's so cathartic. It's so tempting. I don't want to talk to the person. That's too hard. But talking to someone else, oh yes. Give me gossip. Any day. I'm in my 50s and I find that I'm learning I can't eat everything I used to eat. I used to eat a lot of bread and cookies and a lot of refined sugar and I'd be fine. Now if I eat a bunch of cookies, I need to take a nap and I get grumpy. Gossip, slander, resentment, hatred. These are actually things that you consume and they rot your heart. They hurt your soul. When Jesus tells us to love our enemies, he's not saying that for their benefit. He's saying that because he loves us. The most important relationship that you have on this earth is your relationship with God. And when we act out of resentment, out of hatred, 
When we gossip and malign and criticize and judge, we hurt our hearts. And we divert our attention from God. It is a form of distraction and it breeds and foams discontent. The more you criticize, the more you gossip, the more you want to criticize and the more you want to gossip. And it's fun. It's so fun to say what every, what's wrong with everybody else. But it's not good for us. It's like eating a big pile of candy. It's not going to kill us. But it's definitely not food for the soul. In fact, over time, it can be more like poison. But how hard it is when people are doing you wrong not to do wrong back, at least in some subtle way, some passive-aggressive way, right? But in this world, what feels good is not always what is good. How many of you have seen the movie The Sixth Sense with Bruce Willis? Remember, it came out a long time ago. It's about this little boy. He is so brilliantly acted. He sees people that have died, and it terrifies him. Bruce Willis is a child psychologist who helps this little boy to contend with these ghosts that he sees. The little boy sees a girl under his bed, and she's throwing up. And it's disgusting and revolting, and he's terrified of her. But his counselor suggests that he, instead of running away from her, ask her why she's throwing up and why she's hiding under his bed. And so the little boy asks her. The girl leads him to her house. And then she shows him that under her bed there is a box with an old-fashioned video cassette in it. He is supposed to give the video cassette to the little girl's father. So the boy does what she asks. It's the reception of the funeral for the little girl. They're in their house. The father puts in the video cassette. It shows the little girl who's died and she's playing with her puppets. But then her mother comes in, so she jumps in bed. Her mother places a bowl of soup, not knowing that she's being filmed, and pours a little cleaning fluid into the soup. I'm feeling a lot better, the little girl says. Yes, but you always feel worse in the afternoon, dear, her mother says. The little girl comes to the boy and says, thank you for giving that cassette to my dad because he'll protect my little sister now. And the same thing won't happen to her. When you live a life of resentment, when you can't let go of the things that have been wrong that have happened to you, when you cannot forgive, 
little by little you drip poison into your soul. Jesus is telling us to love our enemies because he wants us to be well. It does not mean that we condone their behavior. It doesn't mean that we say that it was okay. If we were hurt or abused, that's not it at all. But what it means is that we are no longer enslaved to being a victim. We no longer accept whatever they say about us. We no longer engage in an unhealthy relationship. We let it go. And no matter how they behave, we act with integrity, love, respect, honesty. And that takes courage, my friends. It is not passive. It is active. To love in the face of hatred is to change the world. And it is to care for our souls. No one has the power to hurt your soul except for you. Don't let anyone drag you down into realms that you don't belong in. Hold yourself to a higher standard. You are baptized children of God, followers of Jesus, courageous and true, and you have the power to love the whole world. Amen.